does not exclude anybody who comes to him with a pure and a repentant heart, no matter how mangled they are. And we have to be careful because the religious leaders of their day just like their position of power, but they miss the heart of the God who came to save. God wants us not only to worship him, but worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's so easy. It's so easy for us to forget that. The spiritual leaders in Jerusalem weren't happy that the broken, undesirable people in the temple came to see Jesus. As Pastor Daniel teaches about the arrival of Jesus to Jerusalem, he'll ask us to consider how we see the Messiah. He ministers to people where they are. He's always working, even in the most strident believer. We'll consider the character of Jesus and how it manifests in our own hearts. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 14, with his continuing study entitled, The King Throws Down. Jesus is this is all, man, the King is being celebrated. People are excited. The Messiah is here. This is our hope. This is what we've been waiting for. And it says, and verse 10, all of the city, Jerusalem, was moved. Who is this? And the mold said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They're saying, man, Jesus is here. He is the promised king. The king is being celebrated. Now you would think, okay, the king's celebrated. He's here. This is his inauguration day. Right? And you guys know you can never make a second chance to make, what, a first impression, right? You guys remember that? That's where your deodorant. That's what they're saying, Right? You never get a second chance to make a first impression. So what do you think? Jesus is the king. What's the first thing he's going to do? Obviously, he's going to bring together all the leaders of the city, right? And he's going to sit down. He's going to build some consensus. He's going to figure out a plan, right? That's the way we do it. When you take over a new job, you bring in all the people. And you sit down. You figure out what's supposed to be. And then you do make a plan, right? <laughs> Not Jesus. Look at what Jesus does. Verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. <laughs> so now the king starts trouble. I hope you realize Jesus is starting trouble right now. Very first thing, he's the king, he comes into Jerusalem, everyone's moved. Who is this? This is Jesus. He's the prophet from Nazareth. And he goes right into the temple of God and he begins to handle people. That's an unexpected turn of events, don't you think? 
I mean, you have to realize that the temple for the Jewish people was the center of their civic and spiritual lives. In Passover, it's one of the pilgrim feasts. All the able-bodied men came to Jerusalem and they were just looking forward to going into the temple that God had ordained for them and worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And although they had been enslaved to the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and the Greeks and now the Romans, that temple always stood as a reminder that they were God's special people. And so what does Jesus do? He comes into Jerusalem, he goes right into the temple area, and he begins to overturn tables. Now, think about this. Have you ever been in a room where someone overturns a table? Yeah, that's a little bit of a, of a fracas, so to speak, right? Now, I, I didn't ask you if any of you overturned tables, because I know some of you guys are bad that way. But literally, Jesus is starting to handle people. He's driving people out who bought and sold in the temple. How many of you have ever been to a flea market? That's okay. No judgment. <laughs> we were like... Could you imagine somebody driving people out of a flea market? I mean, this isn't like Jesus walking up and being like, Hi, I'm the son of God. Can you please stop selling all that stuff here? In the name of the Lord. Hi, my name is Jesus. I'm the Messiah. I'm speaking quietly because I'm the Messiah. This is not that. This is a bar brawl, practically. Like he's literally in there and he's restraining people from going through the temple. Now, you have to realize that at the temple there were all these sacrifices that were meant to be offered. If you're, if you're tracking through with us on Wednesday nights, we looked at them from Leviticus chapters 1 to 8. And you can imagine that people were traveling from far distances and they needed to be able to get the sacrifices. You say, well, I would have just brought it from home. This was not like today. Where you take your little animal and you stick it in your cage, you stick it in the back of your pickup truck and you got a straight highway, concrete highway, and you get there and you get off and you take it out of the cage and you offer it. People were on foot. They were traveling in caravans. So they needed proper offerings. But what Josephus, the Jewish man who wrote History of the Jews for the Romans, tells us is that they set up the place where people bought and sold all the offerings, they set it up in the court of the Gentiles. Which means that if you were Jewish, you could worship in peace and quiet, but if you were not Jewish, if you went to go worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you had to do it in the middle of a flea market. See, the, the Jewish people that day said, look, we want to worship God, but we don't care if you're hindered. We just want to worship the way we want to. Now, of course, there's an application for us, isn't there? Because we have to be careful if we've been around church long enough to not look at church as it's all about me and I don't want those people around. So we'll inconvenience them so I can worship in peace. That happens, doesn't it? And I'm a pastor, so believe me, I know. You get so used to being, oh, it's all nice and neat here at church and I don't want those people here. They don't get it. So it's incon let's inconvenience them. We'll keep them away so we can have our nice worship service. Our hearts are weird that way, isn't it? God accepts us as we are, but we don't want the people who are as they are to be in our midst sometimes. Jesus gets upset and he starts quoting scripture to him. He says, 
It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He quotes together Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. That's Jeremiah 7, 11. He's saying, look. He's saying, you guys have missed the point of this temple. It's supposed to be a place for people to pray and commune with God, and you've made it a den of thieves. You're so busy buying and selling. Money changing. Now, the money needed to be changed as well. People would bring their Roman currency. They needed to exchange it for the shekel, the temple tax. So it needed to happen, but the problem was where it was happening. The problem, these things, these aren't bad things, but they're just inconveniencing other people, and Jesus is upset about it. I mean, he's so upset, he's overturning tables. And if that's not bad enough, if that's not bad enough, Look at what happens next, verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. So think about this. Jesus is upsetting the religious leadership of the day by overturning tables and driving people out and saying, look, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And then, to make matters worse, the blind and the lame came into the temple and Jesus touched them and healed them. Now again, people with any deformities or blindness were not allowed into the temple. So now all of a sudden they're coming in to meet with Jesus. Jesus is touching and healing them. And you know what happens when somebody has a deformity and somebody heals them? Everybody comes. And now they're indignant. That word means they burned with anger against Jesus. I mean... Jesus, this is trouble here. This is trouble with a capital T. Because Jesus is doing everything he's not supposed to do. They're like, those people with deformities, those people who are blind, they're not supposed to be in here. They ruin our nice temple experience. Oh, brothers, sisters. The Bible teaches that we're all deformed. And we're all blind and we've been given sight and wholeness by Jesus. And God does not exclude anybody who comes to him with a pure and a repentant heart, no matter how mangled they are. And we have to be careful because the religious leaders of their day just like their position of power, but they miss the heart of the God who came to save. God wants us not only to worship him, but worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's so easy it's so easy for us to forget that. As God does a beautiful work here at Crossroads, as there's people coming in who've been away from the Lord for so long, those of you who've been here for a while, don't for one second run them out being on the step that they're on. It happens in church. People are in process. And it takes a while for God to work out all the external stuff in our hearts. But you know what's funny? Even if the external looks great, God's still doing a huge work on the inside, right? So the work is never done. And so let's never make the mistakes that the chief priests and the leaders made because they didn't like the fact that people who were broken were in the temple when that's exactly where they're supposed to be. That's where God wants to meet them and do a work in their lives. And Jesus is starting trouble because look what he does. They're indignant. He, they're calling him the Messiah, the blind. He's doing these wonderful things, and they're mad. 
They're mad. And notice what he says. They say, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yes, I love Jesus. Do you hear what they're saying? Mm-hmm. Yep, I hear it. I hear it. And then look, he says to him, he says, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? He quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. He's saying, look, they got it right. I am the Messiah. And yes, they are not the religious leaders and they are not religiously educated, but they get what's going on here. I am the Messiah. I am doing the works of God. God's up there kingdom is coming down here. I'm doing the work. You guys are so smart. You're not smart. You have it all dialed in. You don't get it. You don't get it. Now, you realize Jesus is throwing down here. This just got real. He's making enemies quickly. Well, look at what happens next. In verse 18, now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, you notice, Jesus has been celebrated. He's the king, right? And now Jesus is starting trouble. So what you find is that Jesus, in everyone's life, is either the king or he's a troublemaker. And that's pretty true, isn't it? You either say Jesus is the king or you say Jesus is just a hassle and trouble. And Jesus wants to explain what makes the difference between those things. And the difference is faith. And so in this section here, Jesus teaches on faith. Because faith is the thing that takes Jesus from just being a troublemaker to Jesus being the king. It's faith. It's when we believe in who he says he was. Now, if you think about it, this is still true today. There are all sorts of people who believe that the problem with the world is Christianity, Jesus, and religion. I remember um, Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, New York Times bestseller, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Or Richard Dawkins, New York Times bestseller, The God Delusion. And pretty much what they're saying is that the world would be better if there was no such thing as God or Jesus. It's ironic, though, if you look at the greatest atrocities of the 20th century, they're all perpetrated by atheists. But it's really the church's fault. I mean, let's just be honest. You guys, you've ruined the world. Give yourself a golf clap. Go ahead. You ruined everything. You ruined the world. If you were not here and I was not here, we had no Bibles, the world would be a better place. There's a group of people who would say that. They'd just as soon put us in concentration camps, get rid of us all. Right? We're, we're just a hassle. Why? Because they don't believe. They don't believe. Now, there's others of us who have that childlike faith. You just believe Jesus is king. He's the king. I just do whatever he says. And you have that simplicity of faith. 
And that's a good thing. But you know what? There's also, I realize there's another group of us, probably the majority of us. We know that Jesus is king, but he's still a troublemaker, isn't he? That's who Jesus is in my life. I know he's the Lord, but Jesus is a troublemaker. He is always upsetting my personal apple cart. He's always like, oh, oh yeah, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, see, let's see how this works. But you know, you know why Jesus, we can still believe in him, but he's still a troublemaker because we don't really trust him. And we're all learning. I, I always love that phrase in the gospel when the guy came and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's me. I read that, I'm like, that's my verse. I don't know how many times I'm like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I know you're God. I know you're the Lord. I know you're the king and you're upsetting everything in my life right now, God. Because God is teaching me how to believe and not doubt. And listen, if you're here today, if you're here today and Jesus is a troublemaker in your life, I believe God wants you to learn how to trust him. And the reason he loves you enough to be a troublemaker in your life is because God has a more glorious plan for your life than you could ever dream. And the only way, if we are not willing to walk that path, we have to be coaxed down that path, so to speak. And Jesus challenges us and upsets the apple cart. So notice this. And, and this, where this is placed in the gospel is by chance. It's not by chance. We just looked at a temple that was barren, and now we've come to a fig tree that was barren. Don't miss that. There's a barren temple, and now there's a fruitless tree. It's interesting, and for those of you who like Bible stuff, the first Adam, he went to the fig tree for leaves to cover his shame. Jesus, the second Adam, came to the fig tree looking for fruit. It's not, that's powerful, isn't it? Think about that later. First and the second Adam, one came looking for leaves to cover the shame. Jesus, the second Adam, came looking for fruit. But what's going on here? Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. He's staying in Bethany. In the morning, he's hungry. Why? Because Jesus is like all guys. He's hungry in the morning, you know? Okay, maybe not. I'm hungry all the time, so God help us, you know? But he's hungry, right? And he notices that there's a fig tree, and it's got leaves. Now, one of the other gospels tell us that it wasn't the season for figs, which is a fascinating thing. But, and I, I've never grown fig trees. I've eaten a lot of... Uh, figs and fig newtons really I really like my fig newtons but they say that when fig on a fig tree the leaves come and then the fruit comes right after it so Jesus is going to the fig tree because he's hungry he's looking for fruit and he finds nothing and he curses the tree and it withers away now I know some of you are going to say I can't believe Jesus would wither the fig tree that is not ecologically friendly but listen, he just overturned tables in his own house. So Jesus is off the rails right now, okay? So it's like, like what he did in the temple is way worse. And it doesn't say that the thing's not going to grow back. It may grow back more fruitful. It could be just pruning. I don't know. But I, I know there's someone who's like, I can't believe in, how could I believe in a God who would curse a fig tree? That poor tree. If, listen, if that's you, I was like, God bless you. I don't know what to say. I, I don't have an apologetic for it. But Jesus is throwing down. He's throwing down here. See, what's Jesus' issue with the fig tree? The fig tree has the advertisement of fruit, but there's no fruit on there. Oh, someone like that. It has all the advertisements of fruitfulness, but when you go and get fruit, there's nothing there. 
And so Jesus cursed, just like the temple. The temple had all the advertisements. This is a spiritual place, and it was totally barren. And what's interesting is the disciples look at this, and they say, how did the fig tree wither away? It's like, what happened? And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what I have done to the fig tree, but also you will say to this mountain, be removed into the sea, and it will be done for whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, these you will receive. See, God is not impressed with our advertisements of us being spiritual. God's looking for fruit. And it is real easy to have the advertisement of spirituality, isn't it? You can be in church long enough, you get a big old Bible, say enough proper praise the Lord's, and people think you got it going. But God doesn't want an advertisement. God wants fruitfulness. It reminds us of John chapter 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. See, God is looking for fruitfulness. Success in God's kingdom is being fruitful. Now, again, I almost term this be a fruitcake. <laughs> and I was trying to stay away from it, but it's like, it's true. Be a fruitcake for God's glory. Be fruitful. And I know fruitcake has all sorts of bad connotations and stuff. And, you know, fruitcakes are fun for Christmas. Don't get me wrong. But God wants us to be fruitful. And I always say about fruitfulness, when was the last time you saw an apple tree eating an apple saying, mm, this is a great apple? A fruit tree never partakes of its own fruit. Everybody else does. And God wants his people to be fruitful so that we may be salt and light and nourish the world. And that's why, brothers and sisters, take those invite cards and invite people. Because God wants to use you. God wants the way he's working in your life to bless people. You can go and say, listen, I want to invite you to church. Look, I'm not perfect. You know that. But God loves me and I'm still working on it. When you go and you invite someone, they see that God is working in your life and in your family. Not that you're perfect. No one's perfect except for Jesus. But when you are fruitful, that is the greatest advertisement for the work of God's kingdom. When you and I are growing and bearing fruit. Now, I'm here to tell you this. Don't miss the fact that fruitfulness is absolutely tied to faith. Because you know what he says? He's like, look, if you believe and don't doubt, not only will you do what I do to this tree, but you can say to this mountain, the Mount of Olives, be removed into the sea, speaking of the Mediterranean or the Dead Sea, and it will go. Because whatever things you ask in prayer believing, these you will receive. Now, listen. Jesus said it. None of us believe it. Can we be honest about that? See, when Jesus says something like that, it's easy to be like, yeah, I know it. I've memorized it. But do we really live with the reality of the God where all things are possible? Jesus is real. In today's teaching, we heard about how Jesus just went for it teaching the truth to the spiritual leaders who didn't want to hear it. But it's because he loves us and wants us to walk the path that leads to our salvation that he does this in our lives as well. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real radio family. 
Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Hey, everybody. Pastor Daniel Fusco here of Jesus is Real Radio. I got some special news. I'm so stoked. My new book called Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives is available on pre-order right now. You might say, why'd you write the book, Daniel? Well, simply because this. Life is messy, but Jesus is real. And we need to talk honestly about both sides of that coin. So get the book now. It's available on pre-order at honestlybook.com or wherever books are sold. I can't wait for you to read it. God bless you. Join Pastor Daniel in the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. We'll learn how to live in the light of the God of the possible. We can easily go along in a place where we don't imagine what he's capable of. But as Jesus sought to strengthen the faith of his disciples, he does this for us as well. Now, in the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series entitled, This Just Got Real. Until then, may God bless. Jesus is real.